Upcenter Church, hey, thanks for tuning in today. We're going to get to a message in just a moment. Thank you uh, for tuning in, whether you're at home watching today or whether you're in some other part of the world. Thanks for being a part of, of Epicenter Church. God has blessed us in an extraordinary way that Epicenter's reach goes outside of our own zip code here, and so we're thankful for that. And this year we've had our initiative for 2018 is Together We Can, and together we have accomplished some incredible things for the cause of Christ through our Ways to Love projects and Hop in the Park and Roar and Operation Compassion and all of our um, initiatives that we've partnered with other agencies and ministries throughout our city and abroad around the world. And so I want to thank you for your, your generosity, but today I'm coming to you for a very specific reason. This time of the year, we do an offering called The Give. It is something that we're very excited about. It's something that you're able to help us further the ministry, the cause, the mission, the vision of Epicenter Church. And so if you call this church home or if this church has blessed you in some way, shape, fashion, or form, we're asking you to partner with us and to give it an offering, an offering that shows how blessed you've been of God. You're giving out of the blessing that God has blessed you with. And so this offering called The Give is going to go through or go to many different um, agencies and many different resources that we have uh, been able to uh, connect with throughout the years. One of which is our foster care initiative where we're able to adopt 200 plus teenagers for Christmas and we're able to gift them um, this Christmas because of your generosity. So I'm asking you to partner with us to help us further the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ through the work of Epicenter Church. Whether you're here in Fayetteville, whether you're in some other part of the country tuning in, whether you're on the other side of the world, God has blessed us with um, the ability to extend the gospel through um, the internet and abroad and through our internet campus. So if you would partner with us, pray about what God would have you do because this is an incredible time of the year where we're able to do things for the cause of Christ and we're able to show how God has blessed us by blessing others. So the end of the year offering is called the give. Obviously it's tax deductible. If you can't do an offering at Christmas time with the give, then consider uh, a recurring gift, a monthly gift, partnering with us throughout 2019 and beyond. Again, I want to thank you for your willingness to help. The Give is going to be an awesome venture. It starts on December 16th through the end of the year. But pray about what God would have you do, a sacrificial gift. Because just like Mary, she poured out a gift on Jesus, the alabaster jar of perfume. She gave out of her abundance. It was a sacrifice. And we're asking you to pray and to do the same. Because I believe people are going to be touched through this offering this Christmas time. The Give. Thank you. Be blessed. Epicenter Church, you're awesome. Can I preach? Go ahead and, and just look at your neighbor. And let me just go ahead and announce the title for today's message. Can I do that? Confident Conclusions. Look at your other neighbor that you did not choose that now does not feel so much confidence. And say, Confident Conclusion. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the narrative that is the foundation for this series. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Somebody say, Season of Grace. You can be seated. 
Before I actually start preaching, I want to do something. In the first service, I just felt led to do it. I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me. I want to do the same thing today. Somebody say the give. The give is our annual offering that we take at Christmas time that enables us to continue to further spread the message of Jesus Christ. There's several reasons why you should give. I don't have time to go into all of this because I do want to get into the word, but I also want to follow what the Holy Spirit is asking me to do. Certainly, your give, your gift at Christmas is a tax-deductible gift. That's a benefit, but the greatest benefit of all is when you recognize that everything that you have is a result of God and you bring a gift unto Him that is sacrificial. God begins to bless you in ways that you could only imagine. In fact, the Bible says that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine. How many of you want one of those kind of blessings in your life? Now listen to me. I'm not standing up here saying that if you give, that God's going to open up heaven and he's going to give you like 10 times what you gave. It's not about money. It's about sacrifice. And when you begin to sacrifice for him, he opens up heaven on your behalf. And sometimes it's not just a tangible gift. Sometimes it's peace right in the midst of the difficulty. Sometimes it's grace when you need grace. Listen, that, when you are willing to give a sacrificial gift to Jesus because why he gave it all to us. He gave his best. So this Christmas, I'm asking you to make the best gift that you give a gift that you give to Jesus. We're going to use it to bless. In fact, we're, we're adopting 200 plus teens, 225 teenagers who are in the foster care program that otherwise would not be gifted. And we're going to buy gifts for them. That costs a lot of money. We're doing other things with agencies around town, ministries around town and around the world, all because of your willingness to give. This is over and above your tithes and offerings. Don't, don't not give your tithes and offerings so that you can give to the give because that's, that's not going to help here in this process. But I'm praying that if God has asked you to give $5, you give $5. If it's $500, $500. If it's $5,000, whatever it is that God has placed upon your heart, I want you to do so. Kim and I are going to lead you in this process. But I want to pray over you right now because I'm hoping that over the next week, because the give begins next Sunday and goes through the end of the year, I'm hoping that you will listen to what God is placing within your spirit, the promptings of God. How many of you are with me? Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, I just pray that, Lord, this week as people contemplate what they'll give in this offering, Lord, as they're bringing back to you everything that we have is the result of your hand. Everything. So God, may you challenge us to reach deep. And God, may we have the courage to give sacrificially so that the message of the gospel can continue to be spread in a powerful way. Bless these people, Lord. Touch these people for it's in your wonderful name. And everybody said, by now you're probably in the book of Isaiah, but I'm going to throw you a curve. We're not going to begin in Isaiah. I'm going to establish some context for conversation by taking you to the gospel of John. The gospel of John in John chapter one, as it opens up, is a very intriguing chapter. 
I want to take you to John chapter 1 to remind you of the subject matter that we discussed last week so that you'll have a basis for the conversation today. And when the gospel of John opens up, it's really weird. He doesn't open up the way the other gospels do. He doesn't begin with Jesus at his birth. He, he begins with Jesus and his mission. He doesn't begin with the Messiah in the manger. He begins with the Messiah and his, his message. And so it's a message of, of grace. And so John talks about this grace that came to change the order of the world. And so here's what, what John says in John chapter one. Let me, let me turn over there and how his deity deity of Christ begins to change the world and John recognizes that people need to see who Jesus really is. Let's just pick up in verse 14. Somebody say 14. It says the word became flesh. Everybody say the word. The word is the logos word. It's, it's another name for God, a name for Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Hmm. He says, God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is beautiful. The creator of the universe who placed the stars in the sky, who created the heavens and the earth, took on flesh and dwelt among us. The same God who spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. The same God who gathered up some dust of the earth and he created man and he placed every muscle, every tissue, every tendon, every bone, every fiber of his being into place and then he breathed life into us. That same God became flesh and dwelt among us. You have to know that when John wrote this out 2,000 years ago, the Jewish reader was like, wigged out by this but what John was trying to do for us Richie was to identify for us that God wanted to be close to us so he sent his only son you see up until the time of Jesus the only thing that signified that the presence of God was there was when the cloud would come down and it would come down over the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. But now John is saying that Jesus has come to pitch a tent in our lives in order to pour out his grace upon us. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. How does that grace work? This is where we were at last week. Look, it says this, verse 16. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Hold on a second. Grace in place of grace already given. What John was doing was painting for us this image of a wave of grace crashing over us. And just as that wave is beginning to recede, another wave of grace would crash over us. And just as that wave is beginning to recede, another wave of his grace would crash over us, showing to us that his grace has no limits. It knows no bounds. It is not bound by your resources. His grace is limitless. It's inexhaustible. His grace is more than enough in our moment of weakness. His grace is an ever-present help in a time of need kind of grace. It's his grace that 
enabled Moses to overcome his insecurities. It's his grace that enabled David to take on the giant. It's his grace that spoke the words through Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's his grace that empowered Paul and Silas to sing praise at about midnight, even though they were in a jail cell. It's his grace that empowered the pen of Paul to write the letter to the Philippians that's called the book of joy, even though he was in prison waiting on his execution. I need to calm down. What I love about the Gospel of John is that John does not begin with Jesus in a manger. He begins with the mission of Jesus. He does not begin with the birth of the Messiah. He begins with the Messiah in the creation story when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was created was created by Him. And nothing that was created was created with out him. Hold on a second. Here is this God. John is painting this image of a, I love this. What he's saying is that it's, it's not just about the manger. He's saying it's about the message of Christ that he grew up. He got out of the manger. He lived a blameless life for 33 and a half years. He surrendered unto the suffering even suffered unto death on the cross. He was placed in a tomb and forgotten about. But then on the third day, that grace walked out. And then the Bible says that he ascended to the right hand of the Father so that he could continue to pour out grace upon us. He's our intercessor. In fact, let me show you something else. Can I show you something else? Somebody say amen. I'm going to take you over to the book of Hebrews. Before we get to the narrative, because I believe the author of, of the book of Hebrews expresses this mission of Jesus in a way that I cannot articulate. Here's what he says. Chapter 4, verse 14. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted and tested in every way, yet was without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Somebody say, confident conclusion. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So that, watch this, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need confident conclusion. Let us go after boldly the throne of grace so that we'll receive grace and mercy in a time of need. That is a verse that I want to dissect with you today. But before we can actually dissect verse 16, in fact, circle verse 16 in your Bible, we need to actually back up about 800 to 820 years or so to the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah actually outlines what is written 800 plus years later in Hebrews chapter 4. Isaiah is the great prophet who's prophesying about this coming Messiah. What you need to understand is that Ahaz, who is the king of Israel, comes to the great prophet Isaiah in a time of need. Because the Assyrians 
this mighty army, this, this nation that has been going around the known world and conquering the known world has now turned their attention to Israel, specifically Jerusalem. King Ahaz, he comes to Isaiah and he says, I need help. I, I, I need somebody to give me direction. I need counsel. I need a word. I need a sign. Thank you, D. I need a word. I, I need a sign. I need somebody to tell me what to do because I don't know what to do. Should I build an alliance with another nation? Should I surrender? Should I run? What should I do? Because I, I feel like I'm all alone, like no one knows what's happening. And there they are looking at me, all of these enemies coming against me. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. Have you ever been there? You don't know what to do. You don't know what decision to make. You don't know which job you should take. Or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe you know what to do, but you don't have the power within you to do what you know to do. Maybe you know that you should forgive someone, but you don't know how to forgive someone. So there's Ahaz looking at Isaiah saying, I don't know. Give me counsel. Help me. I don't know how to figure this out. And so Isaiah, the great prophet, said, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders, Ahaz, not yours. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Ahaz is not really understanding this. Okay, we're talking about a baby. I came to you with a problem. <laughs> and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here, Isaiah gives him four names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Four names that define the very essence of who God is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Grab it. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many of you know names are important? Have you ever seen like, I was doing some research for this. Have you ever seen like some of those weird combinations when it comes to names? Like, if your last name is Wright. And your parents name you Eileen. Eileen Wright. Or, what, what, what was another one? Um, oh, here's one. If your last name is Price, common last name, and your parents name you Lois, Lois Price. What was another? Oh, here's one. Here's a good one. Your name is Helen. Helen, that's a good name. But then Helen ends up marrying a guy, and his last name is Back. She becomes Helen Back. <laughs> oh, and her husband said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. <laughs> I got to say, y'all, you guys are more awake. The first, first service, they, they didn't get this. I'm just saying, I ain't get it. So let me get back. Holy Spirit, come back. Here we go. Okay, so Isaiah says to Ahaz, he says, 
Ahaz, there's a wonderful counselor, there's a mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Four names, not, not four literal names, but four relational names. Four names that will define how Jesus will be expressed to the world. I want to focus on wonderful counselor. When Ahaz got the information about wonderful counselor, Ahaz didn't understand that. He certainly didn't understand what the Hebrew writer wrote 820 years later because the Hebrew writer now has had the gift of Jesus and he understands who Jesus is. Ahaz is on this side, not really sure who this Jesus or who this baby is going to be. And so 800 plus years later, the Hebrew writer writes, well, we don't serve one who's not been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was in every way tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. And he empathizes with our weakness. And so we should go before the throne of God with a great boldness so that we can receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Basically, what the Hebrew writer is telling us is that God is your counsel. Jesus is your counselor. He's interceding on your behalf. So hold on a second. So Ahaz, he's not getting this. When he hears the words, wonderful counselor, it's two Hebrew words. The word wonderful is really a word in Hebrew that can't really be translated because what Isaiah was saying is that God or Jesus is so wonderful that I cannot put into words, I cannot give you the verbiage that will express to you his wonder. Then the second word is translated into counselor. Counselor means a person who gives to you advice. This is in the Hebrew. A person who gives to you advice, wisdom, who guides you, who gives you counsel from a position of authority. Remember that. Who gives you wisdom, advice, guides you, gives you counsel from a position of authority. It's not like the friend who gives you counsel whom you call after you get home from work and you want to tell your friend how, how somebody at work, that sister, she just did me wrong at work today. You ain't going to believe what she did. And then when you finish up the phone call, your friend on the other end says, well, I ain't never like her anyway. You know, it's not that kind of counsel. What Isaiah is saying is, Ahaz, you're coming to me for counsel, and that's okay because you see me as the great prophet. However, there is one so much greater than I who is the wonderful counselor. And he's the one that you bring your worst problems to, your most difficult situations to, and you pour it out to him, and he'll show you a way where there seems to be no way. So Ahaz, he feels all alone, like no one cares, and he's there by himself, and you know, I, I got to have help, and I, I, I need hope. But listen, here's what you need to understand. What the Hebrew writer is telling us in Hebrews chapter 4 is this, is there is never a time in your life there is never a moment that Jesus Christ is not interceding for your victory and for your success. There is never a moment that he's not interceding for your victory and for your success. In, in, in fact, you, you, you need to understand this. There is nothing that you can go through that Jesus himself hasn't already 
gone through. What you need to realize is that there is no one who wants you to succeed more than Jesus Christ himself. He knows every difficulty. He knows every exhaustion. He knows every problem. He knows every situation. That is why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says to us, we don't serve one who's not been tested in every way just as we are. Yet we serve one who has been tested in every way, yet was without sin. Therefore he can empathize in our moment of weakness. Therefore we should go boldly with confidence before the throne of grace so that we receive grace and mercy in our time of need. You see, there is never a thing that you will go through that Jesus himself has not already gone through. He was born in the lowest and the worst of poverty. He died on a cross. When he was born, the innkeeper said, there is no room. As a toddler, Herod tried to kill him. At his death, people cried out, crucify him. At his birth, he was placed in filthy rags. At his death, he was stripped in shame. At his birth, the world ignored him. At his death, his father rejected him. Why? So that he could take upon himself my sorrow, my pain, my difficulty, my brokenness, my need for healing. Come on, somebody. That's why. So that we could tap into that grace. Can I teach for a minute? Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Go there, go there. I'm going to read this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Here it is. It says, the Hebrew writer says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hold on a second. So then we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Circle that last line in your Bible. In our time of need. The word time here is a Greek word, eukairos. It actually means at the most suitable time. At the best time. At at, the greatest time, at the most appropriate time. In other words, there is no more time that is more appropriate than when you are in need to take your need before God. Because what the writer in Hebrew is telling us, what the, what, what Isaiah was telling us is that he is the wonderful counselor. He's the one who's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that we come and lay our cares down before him because he's interceding on our behalf. There is never a moment in your life that he is not interceding for you so that you will know victory. Let me tell you something. He's not an absentee God. He's an ever-present kind of help kind of God. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He wrote the star. He put the stars in the sky. He wrote the book. He knows it from the end to the beginning. And therefore, he knows his plans that he has for you. Plans not to harm you, but plans to prosper you. So again, let's go back 800 plus years. Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, he's the wonderful counselor. But then... Here's something you need to write down if you're taking notes. Never allow conflict to outweigh his counsel. Grab that. Never allow your conflict to outweigh his counsel. Because what he's really saying to Ahaz when Ahaz is wigging out, look at all the Assyrians. Look at everything that they have. 
he's so focused on the conflict that he can't really even receive the counsel. So many times we're so focused on the problem that we miss out on the promise. He's saying to Ahaz, there is a promise, Ahaz, that you've got to hold on to. And Ahaz can't see the promise because all he can do is focus on the problem. In fact, for Ahaz, there's no way he can even think about the promise because the promise for him is like, like a distant relative, like one of those third cousins. You know they exist, but you never see them. He's like, I... I don't know how all of that's going to ever help me because I'm in a position where I need help right now. The Assyrians are out there. I don't know what to do about this situation. Let me tell you something. You cannot experience the promises of God without following the promptings of God. That's in your notes somewhere. Promises come about, what is it? Promises come about when we follow the promptings of God. We've got to learn how to follow the promptings of God in our lives. It's the promptings of God that is the counsel of God. It's the promptings of God, James, that we have to, when we're going through difficulty, we need to be still and know that he is God. We need to develop the skill of discernment and listening to the Holy Spirit who's leading us and guiding us. And the only way that you can do that is to shut off the noise of life. But sometimes we miss what God is trying to do because we haven't shut off the noise of life. Sometimes God gives you what you need to do in a sermon, but yet on Monday you don't apply it and you wonder why you don't receive the promise. I I wrote this down. Because you ignore the promptings or the counsel, you don't realize the promise, Ahaz. Ahaz is like, man, all that stuff's good. I love what you're saying, Isaiah. I love it. But hang on a second. Because the wonderful counselor stuff, all that's good. But I don't know if, if you've looked outside over the walls of the city. And if you've seen the Assyrians, there are more of them than us. They're stronger than we are. Their army's more mighty than us. They have more technology than us. They have more chariots than us. Their weapons are made out of iron. Ours is made out of bronze. Therefore, our weapons always break against their weapons. And I don't know what to do about all of that. And he's telling, he's telling Isaiah all of his problems. And Isaiah is saying, Therefore, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Isaiah is basically pointing, if you will, almost to Hebrews chapter 4 when he says, when you find yourself in a place, you need to understand you serve a Savior who does not, under, who does not has not gone through things that you will not go through. He's already gone through those things. Therefore, he can empathize with your weakness. Therefore, he knows what your weakness is. That's why you can approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence, knowing that in your time of need, you will experience his grace and his mercy. It's listening to the promptings of God. There are so many ways to listen or to hear the promptings of God. Let me take you on the inside of sermon preparation. Can I do that for a minute? This is my journal, my sermon book for this year. It's where God has given me, maybe I say God, but sometimes... I think God speaks to us all differently and sometimes I can be watching something on TV and I see something that has absolutely nothing to do with God. I might be watching the news and someone will make a comment and I'm like, hold on a second, let me write that comment down. I might be watching a movie. I might be watching Creed 2. 
And I'm, I'm, I'm watching Michael B. Jordan run behind the Mustang and he falls down on the ground and I'm thinking, perseverance, and write it down. Or I hear something in another sermon that gives me a thought or I, or I have an issue in life and so I'll write down those things and then later I'll come back to those things and God sometimes will give me an outline for a sermon around those things and I'll use that to bring to you a message. Are you with me? So, so it's like all these post-it notes. I don't know if you can see it from where you're at and you could not follow this if you tried to. It's just how my mind works. But all of these post-it notes, many of them falling out of, of this book because sometimes I'll only have a post-it note with me or, or my phone and I'll jot it down and I'll stick it in this book and come back to it later. But, but there's thoughts in here like situations or difficulties or, or, or this or that. And God's just giving me these promptings. Like, like can I share some with you? Okay, like, um, man, he makes me so mad. Well, we better not share that one. It said he aggravates the... Never mind. Better not go there. Um, here, here's, here's one. How much longer, God? That's my question. And then God gave me a sermon out of that even now. Can you praise God while you're waiting? Okay. Um, here's, here's a... Uh, Let's find another here. Here's a sermon. Um, uh, let's see. Here's another. Here's one. Here's one. Okay, so hit the reset. It was a sermon on approval addiction. Because so many times we live wanting the approval of others. It's the way our Facebook looks. It's the way our Instagram looks. We're looking at everybody else's stuff and we think their thumbnail picture looks so beautiful in comparison to ours and we don't seem to have the approval of everyone else. What you need to understand is that God already approves of you and that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then there was another sermon that the great prophet Mike Tyson gave to me. Everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. <laughs> Philosophical statement. God gave me a sermon out of that. Shut up and listen. God can speak to us. He gives us promptings, and we've, we've got to develop a pattern of listening to those promptings and acting on those promptings. And In fact, God can speak to you through the voice of others. Almost 30 years ago, my grandfather, who was in the ministry, who was at his death, near his death, on his deathbed, he said, I want to give you a lesson in ministry. One day you'll go into the ministry, and I want to give you a lesson in ministry. Spell people. I've shared this with you. I was like, okay, he's losing it. P-E-O-P-L-E. He stopped me before I get through, it, through the spelling of that, and he says, that's not how you spell people. You spell people P-R-O-B-L-E-M-S. Problems. People have problems. And he was like, it's not your job to fix their problems. It's your job to lead them to the one who can. I, I can remember a mentor of mine, a hero in the faith, Pastor Altman, who was a great encourager to me, who went home to be with Jesus four years ago this past Thanksgiving, who... One day, early in my ministry here, I, I went to him and I said, I feel like I'm over my head. 
I'm in over my head here. And he said, you are. I was really feeling confident then. He said, but you have to remember what's over your head is still under his feet. Somebody needs to hear that. Your, your problem is under his grace. Your difficulty is under his grace. Your situation is under his grace. Your sickness is under his grace. Your position on the job is under his grace. What you don't feel like you have, it's all under his grace. Lord have mercy. Somebody help me preach. Some of you, let me just be honest with you. Some of you are living your life by what you see. That's kind of what, what Ahaz was doing. But what you see is not telling you the truth. It's only giving you the facts. Woo. For some of you, you listen, let me just be honest with you. You... For some of you, you, you want to get rid of all the anger in your life. Well, if you want to get rid of all of the anger in your life, stop hanging out in the place that makes you hangry, angry and hangry. Some of you, 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 want, you want restoration, but yet you won't stop thinking about what it is that brought you the pain in the first place. You've got to stop thinking about what it is that brought you the pain in the first place and learn how to live restoration. Learn how to give forgiveness. So here is Isaiah, the Hebrew writer, saying that he's your wonderful counselor. He can empathize with you in your weakness. He's been tested in every way just as we are. Therefore, you can go before the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that he will give to you mercy and grace in your time of need. Hold on a second. Let me, you got to write this down. Jesus came for people with problems. Think about that. Jesus came for people with problems. Every miracle in the gospel began with a problem. Every last one. A sickness, a difficulty, a, a hunger, a, a lack, a, a this or that. It was, and every last miracle began with the problem. Therefore, if you have a problem, all you are is a candidate for a miracle. Why? Because Jesus didn't come. Listen, he did not come to reward the righteous. He came to save the sinner. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Therefore, he is my hope. He is my, when I don't know what to do, he makes a way where there seems to be no way. When I'm tired, he is my rest. When I am hopeless, he is my hope. When I don't know which turn to take, he's the one who shall counsel me. When I don't know what tomorrow holds, all I do is hold on to the one who has tomorrow in the palm of his hand. Why? Because he is my grace. He is my help. Everybody, just go ahead and jump up on your feet. Can, can I conclude? Can I have two more minutes? Two more minutes. Can I have two more minutes? For those of you who are at home and you couldn't brave this winter storm here, God's going to meet you at home. I said that in the first service, and then I got several texts from pictures of people who are near Sanford who go to church here and said, we got a whiteout here. I don't know about y'all. I wrote this down. When you act on the counsel, 
you overcome the conflict. Grab it. When you act on his counsel, you overcome the conflict. You, you have to understand this. Think about this. When, when Jesus healed the blind dude, you remember this? When Jesus healed the blind dude, he put mud on his eyes and he told him to go and wash at the pool. When Peter came to, to Jesus and had a financial issue, you see, you need to read the word. The word's got everything. He came to Jesus and I don't have the money. And Jesus said, go and fish. And when you catch that fish inside of his mouth, there'll be a gold coin. Let me, let me tell you what I wrote down. It's taking action on his counsel that brings the reward of his promise. Let me go further. It's not that God just wants to give you the answers to your problems. It's that God gives you himself. He is the answer through Jesus Christ. He is the wonderful counselor. You see, Jesus is the solution. He came and he suffered and he died so that you would know grace. And now he's interceding on your behalf at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is your solution. He is your answer. You can go before the throne with confidence knowing that he's interceding on your behalf. He is your hope. He is your help. He is your grace. He is your healing. He is your mercy. Is somebody going to help me preach up in this place? Lord, have mercy. For unto us a child is born. Unto us. A son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.